Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. My name is Bryant Ott, Creighton Otter at whiteandbluereview.com, and I'm joined tonight by Matt DeMoranis, as usual, uh, for another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. I'm really excited to be back with you guys tonight. Really appreciate all of you tuning in to this podcast. This is a big one for us. We got the we got the big man on the show tonight, Matt. Um, you were able to snag a 25 minute exclusive interview with Coach Greg McDermott, um, the head basketball coach for the Creighton men's basketball team, and we have that on the show tonight. It's kind of bundled nicely, I'd say. Um, as you sit in the cozy confines tonight of TD Ameritrade Park, watching the watching the Blue Jays face off against the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, this is kind of what we've pegged as our men's basketball kind of season wrap up show. So while you sit and watch baseball, we're going to talk men's hoops. It's been a bu- it's been a busy couple weeks here, uh, capped off by last week Justin Patton deciding to forego his eligibility. Uh, remaining eligibility in, in Division One college basketball, sign with an agent, enter the NBA draft, and leave Blue Jays fans clamoring um, <laughs> for what they're going to do in the post next year while at the same time being congratulatory and understanding that that's a decision that Justin made. But um, I know this intro is super long, one of the longest uh, sentences probably I've, I've spurted out here to start a show. I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm just going to let you fill in and say why people need to be excited for Justin and why people are right to be a little worried about what's going to happen in the post next year uh, for the Blue Jays. Well, I think it's okay to be a little bit of both um, and not be wrong. I mean, you should be excited for you be excited for Justin and then you should be excited for Creighton and the fact that it's kind of turned into an NBA factory in a sense. I mean... Excuse me. When you think about, it's funny. I was just looking it up after he declared, and I mean, he's projected to go in what top twenty picks safely, I guess. But you know, there's a chance he doesn't go in the first round, I guess. But it's an outside. But if he goes in the first round, Creighton will have two first rounders, then two first round draft picks, and maybe if he goes high enough, two lottery picks, since they joined the Big East, and that'll be more than any of the other teams in the conference. So think about that. Did you think about? Do you think the Creighton Blue Jays would be a team that, or a program that would be churning out NBA lottery picks on a, you know, a fairly regular basis, you know, two and five years type of deal? I mean, that's kind of what everybody wanted as far as that proverbial next level, right? I mean, that's the kind of players you're going to get. So when you bring those players in and when you want them to play for you, you have to take the chances that some of them are going to leave early. I mean, Doug could have left after his junior year and never played in the Big East, and everybody would have thought that made perfect sense. You know, same with Justin. I mean, he's technically a one-and-done from a playing perspective, but this is his second year in college, so he's not, you know, he's kind of into that territory where he's still kind of an, um, you know, an undeveloped raw prospect, if you will, but, you know. Right. But halfway through next season, that changes. He's an upperclassman then, right? Right. So, age. So, NBA scouts kind of, you know, turn their noses at guys who were like, you know, when they turn 20 years old or 21 years old, and then all of a sudden you're just, uh, you're beca- you, kind of, you become quote-unquote polished right? and barely show as much potential. So, you know, from a business perspective, it makes sense for him to go right now and strike while the iron is hot, and I think people should be happy for him. Um, and I don't think, I think if anybody put themselves in his shoes, 
you know, it'd be tough to say, yeah, I would turn down the money and come back to Creighton. I mean, let's be honest. The only reason you're anyone's really truly upset about Justin leaving early is because it may tra- might translate into fewer wins next season, which goes into like you said, the concern for his replacement. Um, and yeah, certainly the coaching staff certainly has work to do in that regard. I mean, they do have Ben Epperson kind of waiting to sign. Um, he's a national letter of intent. I think he's expected to do it this week, so he'll be in the fold officially. Um, but he's a 6'10", you know, kind of Australian. But he's, he's a thin guy. He needs to fill out a little bit. But he's a six. <laughs> he's a talented dude from that Lalamere group that just won that Dick's National Tournament, right, with Brian Bowen and those guys. So Tiger Campbell. And, you do you think they have t-shirts? Do you think they have t-shirts to say "We won Dick's"? Like that's like the shorthand name for the tournament. Probably right. I've, I mean, it's I've, kind of funny because. Like, I feel like we need to make that shirt. I wonder who, how do they choose the teams that play for that and get to decide who like the actual national champion is for high school football. I'm sure that no shoe companies are involved at all, probably. No. Like, no. Super <laughs> clean. Yeah. No, I hear you. There's no way that decides it. No. So let's just, let's just, let's just, let's just, that let's just put that rumor to rest. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, you know, riffing on Justin's decision a little bit. I know you and Mac talk about it in your interview, which again, hope everybody gets a chance to listen to tonight. Uh, good twenty-five minute chat between Matt here and Coach Mac. But um, yeah, I mean, that's as a season ticket holder myself, and I know a lot of most of the folks listening are as well. Y- you do you, you you feel happy for him, but then you're in the back of your mind like, man, Marcus Foster coming back. Justin in the mix, Caleb Joseph running point with Davion and whomever else, add two really valuable freshmen, and then all the other uh, guys, not to mention the best defensive player in the Big East and arguably one of the most improved last year, probably not arguably the most improved player in the Big East last year, Kyrie Thomas. And that's, you know, that's salty. Uh, You take Justin away, and that's a gaping hole. Martin Krompel going to have to come in, and it'll be interesting. You know, does he – man the middle until Epperson puts some weight on does does Mac and and his coaching staff find a guy or maybe even two to step in and give instant minutes I know Toby Hegner coach talks about it in your interview he's dealing with some injury that and surgery that maybe it seemed a little bit uh worse than than maybe initially thought I mean it's they're talking him out three to four months so um all of a sudden you know, Marcus is back, and that's great. And Caleb Joseph is going to be in the mix, and that's great. And Kyrie's going to be here, and that's great. And a host of other guys uh, returning as well. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to look in the Big East at the other teams uh, that you'll be facing and, and say it's not a little bit of a concern. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and knowing that the, we got a lot of production from Justin in his one uh, one season on the court, so. I know it was a one and done from a playing perspective, like you said, but obviously some some numbers to fill there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, it's kind of interesting. I, was, I watched them work out yesterday, which is kind of like I mean, it was essentially a, you know a glorified practice without any scouting report or anything like that. So and it was just kind of strange to see how small they were because Toby was obviously out um, on the sideline, and then. You know, you're, so Martin is then your tallest guy who's, you know, about 6'9", maybe. 
And, uh, yeah, they just look so small. And it's like, oh, man, I mean, next year they might be more like a 13, like a more athletic version of the 13-14 team, which, you know, was one of the most efficient offenses in the history of college basketball. So you won't argue it if that's what they turn into. But it's just – it's going to be interesting to see how they – how the rest of this roster fills out because, you know, like Jacob Everson's going to sign his litter. So he's going to bring a 6-10 body into there. Um, but does he redshirt? Does he play? Who knows until the fall workouts start? You don't really know. And then um, they're bringing in two, what, six, four-ish guards and Mitchell Ballack and Tyshawn Alexander. And then they have two roster spots open after that, which they'd like to fill one with Brian Bowen, right? The six, seven wing. Um, yeah. Tugs. And then, you know. You there? Oh, we might how much small ball they actually play next year because you know they may got full on Golden State next year with just nothing but fast breaks and three pointers. So we'll see. Which again is still very entertaining, um, but as we saw, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, 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 it work. Really. I mean, does it does it equal a national championship? Can you win a national title without being able to rebound and handle a physical defense and you know get to the free throw line thirty times and that sort of thing, like when a grind-out type of game. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe the college game doesn't suit well for that type of deal. But, I mean, you saw Villanova win a national championship two years ago with a, you know, with a really undersized team that just you know, didn't make mistakes, didn't beat themselves. And they beat a big physical team with a lot of athletes to do it. So, you know, it's not well, impossible. Then they better, well, yeah, but the defensive licks there, the defensive chops are a little different. I mean, comparing those two uh, potential options. So, um, you know, I, 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 I hope that they can string it together. It's just, um, and it, I mean, let's be honest, we're not talking like Justin Patton was pulling down 10 boards a game and blocking six shots a game either. I yeah. mean, um, right. that's not exactly the issue there. Uh, as well, but I mean, you're you're replacing a you're replacing a guy who can alter shots, who can block shots, who is really has really good touch around the rim. Maybe stretch out and hit the occasional three pointer. Is hellacious at running the floor and making defenses pay for not getting back. But I mean, he's got weaknesses too, like on the glass and getting in foul trouble and things like that. And yeah. He wasn't the greatest free throw in the world, so I mean, it's not like they have to replace. It's not like they're replacing an something across the board and across the board type of production, you know, but there are things that Justin did that certainly strategically made it a problem, made it a nightmare for opposing teams. And that's, you know, it doesn't look like there's a solution or a, a guy in waiting in that regard. So it's just, it's something that's going to be evaluated and tinkered with and things like that based on who fills those, those final two roster spots. Sounds good. I mean, when you talk about running the floor, though, I you know I'd like to see Martine get some extended time, especially being hopefully all the way healthy back from rehabbing um, his knee injury and 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 having another year in the system. Because I mean, you talk about athletic. That guy is really, really athletic and and can seem to get up and down the floor uh, as well. I mean, Justin sneaky like gazelle type, uh, you know, quick and and really had a good motor but i mean there are times he was tugging at shorts and uh 
gassed, not like anybody wouldn't be, the amount of pressure he was putting on defenses. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see just what they do. If they do go s- smaller, if they can't bring in a big wide body to, to muck up the middle or whatever. Um, should be interesting to see either way. And the coaches have some time here now, like you said, um, off the air. Uh, 400 some transfers and counting right now i mean it's not like the market is bare for what you can get from a grad transfer standpoint even if you give one of those scholarships out and a kid has to sit a year um, you're always looking i mean a guy like bill self ku uh, who usually is out there getting multiple blue chip mcdonald's all americans every single year they had the opportunity to bring the lawson boys in and now they're gonna sit you know and uh there's just a lot of creativity i guess in forming these rosters and it does it looks more and more like nba free agency these days so um, well it's just interesting how certain i'm just curious to see how many of the blue blood coaches decide you know juggle that you know dip their toe into the transfer market versus grabbing five stars off the shelf you know what i mean like i'm i'm wondering how many of the sit one to play two as a 21 and 22 year old mature college basketball player beats out playing sticking an 18 year old into the fire with the potential of him you know taking a month to get accustomed to the game then playing well for the final three months and then leaving anyway so I'm, I'm just there seems I mean I'm certainly there's more payoff with the with the transfer market just based on the kind of individual you might be getting but you know certainly the talent that you get with a one and done is you, know, you can't argue with that. But at the same time, you only get it for one year and then it's done, and then it's hardly it's hardly as fully developed as it would be compared to where it's going to get in the league. So I'm just curious to see how many of like Bill Self adding the loss and doing or loss and others is interesting to me. So I'm wondering how many of those coaches will go down that route. I mean, North Carolina is an interesting type of program. You know, they haven't had anyone transfer out of their program since 2011. That's nuts. You know what I mean? They just They're probably because scared that their fans are going to track them down and hurt them or something. <laughs> probably. Right? But they just got, they have guys, they come in and they wait their turn and they develop and like by the end of it, they look like Kennedy Meeks. <laughs> like, right. Kennedy Meeks played like really well for two years, really. I mean, he was, a, he was actually a backup last year, right? Behind Bryce Johnson and those guys. And, and now he's like this super double double stud who can't be moved in the lane and all that. Like they just cash in on him every other three to four years, and they just cycle those guys out like that. They're all physical. They're all fully developed. They're all like grown men out there. You know what I mean? Like North Carolina barely really looks like, um, you know, children like underdeveloped, not mature teenagers, one and done type of kids. Like they're all they all look like grown men. Right, and I think. Um... I would kidnap all those players and put them into any of the open spots on creating this team. But yeah, I mean, like even a guy like Justin Jackson, I know that was one of the, you know, hashtag storylines during the NCAA tournament was, you know, how much he worked in the off season. He was, he was good last year. And then he went from good to great and it's hard work. And yeah. he's obviously got a great body for it, but just cause you have a great body doesn't mean that you can't make it better. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you can't keep practicing and getting better and learning different facets of your game and on doing so while playing at a pretty high level uh, right. for a traditional program. So 
yeah, I, I, you know, I, that's about as much as I want to talk about North Carolina during the Blue Jays by the podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. Well, but it's, it's, it's the transfers on the whole. Like, you know, look what Dylan has meant to Oregon. Yeah. You know, look, look what Chris Boucher, who was a jun- you know, junior college guy, meant to Oregon. Um, yeah, Gordon at Seton Hall last year, getting them to the Big East championship game. I mean, that look no further than Gonzaga. I mean, right? Yeah. They're playing for – yeah. William Williams, Goss, and all those guys, like, yeah. I mean, they went they went next level with their with the, based on because of the transfer market. So, I mean, yeah, it's certainly changed college basketball. And, I, and I, you see more blue blood programs going that route as opposed to the one and done. So, it's going to be interesting to see how they mix and match that from here on out. Because, like I said, I mean, Creighton is, again, it's kind of becoming a player in that regard. I mean, you look at Justin being a quote-unquote one and done, and I know we have the asterisk of him being a redshirt one and done, but he was a one and done. And then you know Brian Bowen coming in. If they if he does commit to Creighton, he's what number? He's the fifteenth rated prospect in the country, right? Yeah. He's got a potential of being a one and done type of guy, depending on the season he has, and things like that. You just never know. So, and then so if Creighton does have a roster like that, they've also got you know so they had Justin Patton this year, and they had um, a fifth year senior transfer point guard throwing lobs to him for the first half of the season. So. Being able, and then and everybody thought they were a dark horse Final Four slash national title contender, and they were mixing and matching, matching transfers slash one and done guys. So, you know, Keep it's, it up. it's part of the monster now. So, I mean, um, I think it's just you, you have to be open to both. I think I think to say you're, you know, just looking for four year guys or to develop them or not, you know, and trying not to bring transfers into, you know, potentially you know, hurt your culture and things like that because they're not part of it and they don't grow into it and they kind of come in as already, you know, having a, a mindset of what it's like and things like that. It's interesting, but, I mean, it's just if you choose carefully, I think you should be able to be hold the program together, you know, from that perspective. Sure. It's funny we say that because it didn't finish out, but, I mean, it's not – I don't think a culture thing was the reason he got in trouble, you know, that's just my – from my point of view, I don't think it was anything that's, like, stemming from being a big man on campus type of deal. I mean, it's just – there's still good kids at Creighton. From, and they come as transfers. They come as freshmen. You know, Cole Huff is a, one of the best individuals that Creighton has probably produced as far as, like, you know, just the quality of person he is. And, you know, he was a great – he was a – to sit one play two type of guy. I mean, it's not like yeah. it's not like these. It's not like in the past where guys would maybe transfer because, say, they got in trouble or you know overstayed their welcome in only two or fewer years at a certain program and then had no choice but to go somewhere else. No, like, I think a, a good segue there is you and Mac talk about it, especially when you ask him how he dealt with. Um, advising Justin Patton, advising his family, he, he, he very clearly states that the whole goal or one of his goals as a coach is to make sure that his guys are prepared to have a successful life outside of Creighton when they, when they, when they are done with Creighton. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, a lot of kids around the country, if they're smart, they've got to do what's best for them. And if that means a different opportunity, a different way to play, I mean, God, Right down I-80 is a really good example of a bunch of kids that are trying to figure out their path in life and what they want to do with their basketball careers. And 
how they want to fit into a team and do they want to get pigeonholed into a five uh, position when they really dream of being a stretch four or whatever you want to do. I mean, those kids, it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's all about setting yourself up for success wherever you are and wherever you want to be. A guy like Mo Watson Jr., successful at Boston University. He wanted to go to a bigger place. He wanted to play in a bigger league. He's willing to sit out a year to come play two slash one and a half years in that position. And it he was doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's plenty of other guys out there that, that can do that. They can make them move. And then you see, you know, even in Omaha, Treshawn Thurman, who knows why he wants to leave, you know, I'm sure plenty of people yeah. do. And he does not my place to say what he's doing or, or not, but you got to probably figure he's whatever that decision is. He's trying to make that decision for his future and the betterment of himself as a basketball player, most likely. And, and what's that going to mean for, um, you know, kind of his next stage in life. But I don't know. It's, it's hard to argue about it and you just have to figure out the numbers, right? If you're the coaching staff, you have to figure out what makes the most sense, how to make those teams and, and, you know, it used to be you just go out and grab a junior college guy or two when the need uh, was really there, or you didn't, or you had a can't a can't miss kid. <laughs> Excuse me, come your way. But um, now it just seems like you got to have like I don't know. It seems like you have to have like some sort of better handle on math than I do to figure out how all these kids are going to mix and what your scholarships are looking like and how many you go out and promise versus have kids on you know waiting for it's just that's that's a tough that's a tough tough job so you want to talk about rhode island at all or you know vent a little bit or it's kind of good that we're doing this show so oh so far removed from the tournament that way we can kind of collect our thoughts on it that's 100 percent on purpose i mean let's be honest uh and i'm hey can just tie the game no way i hear some roars from td ameritrade park yeah michael amodi with a Base hit through the five hole. Ties it at four with two outs in the eighth. You're faster than the Creighton baseball Twitter handle, so I really appreciate that. No problem. No problem. Because uh, right now, oh, there's Rob. Nice. Four four. Um. Yeah, I. Uh, so I'm sick right now. If, as long as 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 I'm sure anybody listening can tell, but I feel like I've had this nagging cold since about March 17th. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that it isn't related to um, a game that just, I mean, all You're the way. You're sick all the time, though. Like, I, yeah, it's. All like, seasons affect you, I think. Like, the beginning of, the, like, when it starts getting colder, you get sick. When it starts getting warmer, you get sick. Like, yeah, this seems to be a trend for you. I have really bad, uh, you know, allergies and all that stuff. And yeah. I have two kids under the age of six, so they get me. But, um, yeah. you know, I. Let's be honest, man, that the way the season ended did not match my feelings, you know, come middle of January, right there before MLK Day. So um, I know you asked Mac, and he and I have about paid as much attention to Rhode Island games as each other has. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, But, yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, you weren't there, but – you watched in horror like the rest of us did. What went wrong for them? Well, I mean, in simple terms, they off the offense was garbage in the first half, and the defense was garbage in the second half. So it kind of just 
you know, they put together one whole tie, uh, basketball game of poor play and then didn't get it together. I mean, that run to end the second half was, uh, I mean, I don't remember it now, but I think Rhode Island scored on, what, 17 of their final 20 possessions or something agreed just like that. You got our butt! <laughs> and, then, and it's just like, uh, how do you, uh, you know, that's not how you close out an NCAA tournament win. Or just, you know, siphoning out points to the other team. Like, yeah. it, just, it, it just seemed like they were, it just seemed that they were off from the jump. Honestly, I didn't have a good feel from the, from the first couple possessions on it. just didn't feel like they were locked in energy wise that they needed to be like they needed to be. Well, let, you, let's compare that yeah. real quick because you were in New York. Uh, you mm-hmm. you were with the team at MSG for those days uh, during the Big East tournament. Just compare like what you saw on screen to what you witnessed in person and the energy and how they dealt with the the, the game prep and um, mm-hmm. and just kind of the the day to day there in a tournament setting um, in New York. I mean, what struck oh. you? you? Just kind of saw it. So from, just from the game's perspective, it's not like the prep was any different. Obviously, in the conference tournament, you don't have much prep time because it's day after day. But, I mean, they prepared for Rhode Island the kind of way they prepared for Providence going into the conference tournament. But it was kind of – the difference was while they played – while they didn't play well in the first half of Xavier or Providence, they still played with a lot of effort and energy and enthusiasm. Like, it felt like – it felt like they were one run away in each game from taking control of it. And that's really what the difference in the Providence game was was they put together an immediate run in the start of the second half, and Providence never recovered. And the same thing with the Xavier game. They put together a big run to start the second half and played from the lead from the rest of the point until blew it tight and Marcus won it. Um, so the energy felt like it was there the whole time in New York. And even against Villanova, they didn't play well, but they played well defensively. The energy was there. They did They did enough things that could have helped them win that game if they didn't turn the ball over so much. Yeah. So, and then, so going into Rhode Island, just watching those first couple of possessions, maybe the first, you know, the first five minutes just felt like they weren't, they felt like they weren't there energy wise. You know what I mean? It felt like they were just kind of going through the motions a little bit, trying to feel their way into the atmosphere of the NCAA tournament and, you know, trying to figure out what this thing's all about. Cause you know, it's like a different animal playing in a one and done setting out in Sacramento, California, in front of what? How many fans are yours? No fans. No fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No fans. I mean, you you kind of like kind of have to build your own energy, you know, build get yourself into the game. And oh, by the way, there's this other team that's really strong and physical and athletic, and they're trying to prevent you from doing all the things that you're normally comfortable doing. Um, yeah, it just didn't feel like it felt like a bad situation was brewing from the start. And, and that being you know, said, they, they, made, they made a couple runs to make it close, you know, to make you think they were about to turn the corner, but really never got over the hump. So it was one of those just kind of slow, painful death type of things. Yeah, because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, for as bad as the Jays started in that game and, you know, the lack of kind of pop or fire like you mentioned. I mean, they were still in it because it wasn't exactly like Rhode Island was knocking down shots left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their stuff was coming on offensive um, second chance points and, um, you know, just kind of grinding stuff away. But they weren't exactly, you know, lighting the, the Sacramento rims on fire. And, you know, that obviously came later uh, down the second half, like you mentioned. But it wasn't exactly like the Jays were out of it. They just couldn't string anything together to take advantage of 
that situation, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny. One of the things I do remember about the second half is that Rhode Island had a ton of free throws. Tons. And they came in as one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the entire country, not in the tournament, in the country. And I think they went like 26 or 28 or something silly like that. And most of their possessions, like I think 10, maybe 10 or 12 of their final 20 possessions ended at the free throw line with them drilling two and with the clock stopped and just building the lead from there. So, um, yeah, everything, nothing, nothing that, Rhode Island didn't play like they normally do from their perspective as far as what all their metrics said they were good at and what they were bad at. I mean, guys who barely hit threes all season. Yeah. They were hitting flat-footed three-pointers against Creighton. They were making free throws left and right. Uh, they were getting to the free throw line. I mean, all the things that said they, the things that they didn't usually do, they did that day, and Creighton did almost nothing right. So, I mean, outside of Ronnie and Kyrie, no one really played well in that game. I mean, Z struggled at point guard. Davion struggled at point guard. And I don't think they, I don't think they got quick triggers at all. I think it was like apparent from the start that they weren't. Yeah. They weren't going to have good games. You need to get you need to get Ronnie in there because he did have a good game the game prior and he was playing well up to that point. And then he did make a couple of plays, a couple of nice reads from the point guard position on pick and rolls to find Toby for some threes. Um, that kind of indicated that he was gonna that he was kind of the guy that was locked into the point guard spot that day. So you just ride with him, and then you know, and then Marcus and Justin were off. So you know, it just very it just, off. Yeah, they were yeah, very it, off. And it's and they missed twenty shots out of the thirty that they took. So I mean, that's not going to that's not going to win you games in the Switch tournament. No. You're playing good teams at that point. You're not playing DePaul. Man, you're not playing oh. Tempe DePaul in an opener. Yeah. And so you got to be better than that, and they know it. No, I think that's, why, that's why they went home early. And you, you know, you segue there, um, you know, briefly to another topic that you cover, and it's one of the first ones you guys talk about. In your interview with Mac, besides golf, which I mean, whatever, man. Like, I'm not a golf guy, but I know you got to go out and do. I know Mac is, and it's you know, it's after the Masters. The Peyton, the Peyton, if I know the Peyton fan base, they're big golfers. I know. They're, I'm not saying anything. Well, there's a lot of listeners. Wrong with that. Um, yeah. So I mean, uh, you guys talk about Davion, Ronnie, Z in the post Maurice Watson knee carnage world, how that shook out and how the coaches had to deal with that and what they looked for and what they were waiting for. Um, so again, another shameless plug, I guess, for the interview coming up, but um, not as easy as everybody thinks just to, um, you know, look at that situation and say, Oh yeah, the fans want this guy or, Oh, he did one good thing. This one time he was in the game. There's a lot of, there's a lot that goes to it, right? And that's just why you got to trust the coaches and they're they're there and trust, you know, the players that are well, there every single day in practice. Well, I can't state it any more simply than, like, the coaches aren't, like, I'm trying to think the best way to word this. They're not – they don't have, like – they don't pick favorites, you know what I mean? I know – I know it's like, yeah, Isaiah Zierden was clearly a guy that Mac loved to coach and loved to have out there on the floor. That's not because he likes Isaiah Zierden as a person. He trusts what Isaiah Zierden can do on the basketball floor. Now, is that does that mean he's going to score 30 points a night and drop 10 assists and you know lock down, play lockdown defense? No, but he's going to be in the right spot defensively. He's going to be in the right spot offensively. He's going to move the ball. He's going to get people organized. Like he just he knows what to do out there, and that's a big deal for coaches because it, especially at point guard position, because it's all about organization first off. 
You know, before you do anything, it's all about getting people in the right spots. And that's what Tyler Clement is really good at. That's what Davion Mintz is not very good at. So you see that. And then the other thing comes down to it is making the right reads off of pick and rolls and things they do in transition. You know, there's times where there's times where now Davion played well. Let's not I don't want to get this into a bashing Davion situation, but he also had a lot of freshman moments. And when I'm talking about freshman moments, I'm not talking about him, you know, just getting burned off of a ball screen denial or getting totally lost and spinning around defensively or turning the ball over trying to make an aggressive play. I'm talking like on pick-and-roll situations where he has to make a read, he sees half the floor and he needs to see the whole floor. There were times where practice needed to be stopped and slowed down and played in slow motion for him to say, okay, here we go. We're going to set the screen here. All right, use it, freeze. Everybody freeze. And then he literally had to just... It's, it, it became, what, all right, see the floor, and what do you see, and what's the right play here? And Creighton just went down 5-4. to four and then <sighs> Seriously? Off of David Gerber. Um, so Man, how many South Dakota down. State fans are there tonight? Yeah. Sounds loud. Um, not so much anymore. I'd say there's about 100 right now. A lot of South Dakota State fans. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're they're happy right now. Of course. I think it's about 100, maybe maybe 75 South Dakota State fans. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, the point was Davion had a learning curve, and it took a while, and it wasn't, you know, what I'm saying he played well against Providence in the Big East tournament, but against Xavier, Tyler Clement played really well and hit a big three in the corner. That was you know? a, but, that was an I mean, onions three too. I mean, onions, like it, I went back and watched the game again, you know, just to kind of break it down, and at the Tyler Clement passed the ball off, like, maybe five seconds before he hit that three, he passed the ball off, and Gus Johnson said, not a shooter. Like, yeah, I know, right? Not, hey, not <laughs> a shooter. What happens? Tyler gets the ball right back in the corner because he passed and he cut to a spot because he knows what he's supposed to do, and he can do it in his sleep as a point guard, and he banged in a three, a huge three, to put Creighton up three. Like it was, you know, just all within everything he's put, all the work he's put in right there made that easy, made that all instincts. Pass the ball, cut to a spot, catch and shoot. There was no thinking being done right there. You know what I mean? Because it's all muscle memory. Right. And his his release was quick. I mean, I know he was open, but the defense was closing down and he didn't hesitate or anything. It just went up and it was quick release. You say what you want about Tyler's shot form, but it went in. Right. So, you know. What would you want? I mean, are you are you telling me that in that spot Davion needs to be in? If Davion makes that play, are you one hundred percent confident? Are you willing to, like, just say because I don't think Tyler Clement should ever be on the floor, I'm willing to erase that entire result and take my chances with Davion doing the same thing in that situation? Why would you do that? So clearly, there were guys who were capable of doing of coming through at that position, and no one said throughout that whole stretch of time without Maurice Watson that it's my position and no one's taking it from me. No one did that. So as a coaching staff, what are you supposed to do? Because your job is to win games, not make sure guys are getting X amount of minutes because that's what the fan base thinks. I mean, does Davion Mintz playing 30 minutes a game and being told he's the guy with the potential of it being the wrong decision make them any better at the end of the year? I mean, how much better does he get? How much much better is he as a point guard? If that's A, maybe not even his natural position, and B, if you just erase all the results that did happen, like Zierden taking over in Cincinnati and winning the game at Xavier, 
like Tyler Clement being the guy at Butler in that win, like Davion being the guy against Providence, like Tyler being the guy against Xavier at Madison Square Garden, like Ronnie being the guy against Rhode Island. I mean, would you argue with either of those, any of those performances? They were fine, right, from that position. Yeah. Creighton didn't lose the Rhode Island game because of the point guard. No, that's Ross played fine. Right. Creighton lost the Rhode Island game because Justin Patton and Marcus Foster went nine for thirty-one from the floor. Right. Yeah, you keep so, reminding you keep reminding me about it, and I don't <laughs> want to remember it. Sorry, but I'm just saying there's so much. There's so much. It's it's under the microscope so much, and I understand that the point guard is the quarterback of basketball. I get that, but that no one no one took over the position. So what's a coach supposed to do? Just yep. Just say you're the guy because I decide that arbitrarily. Like there's no reason to back it up. Some days, some weeks, some guys played better and were better prepared to handle the scout of that week. And you know, like Tyler Clement is prepared to play against Butler. Why? Because they run 100 sets and he knows them all. Davion Mintz maybe doesn't know three of them. Right. So what do you want? What do you want him to be? Like what situation do you want? Creighton's going into that game trying to win. Not trying to develop the point guard of the future. Everyone wants the new toy to be used right away, and you forget that the coaches are worried about the now, worried about today, worried about winning. They're not worried about what Davion Mintz, what 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 potentially what a game against Truman State in garbage time does for Davion Mintz in you know does for him in two years from now. You know what I'm saying? What those garbage minutes against UMKC mean for him in March, like. It's, let's just be real about this. It's about winning games now. Right. So you, Plus, we all know that you create the point guard of the future in a lab inside the championship center. Right. Um, using, you know, whatever sort of, like, weird tools you can find from other spots on campus. So that's what we need to see next year is just a guy, like a like some sort of weird, like, bionic kid that shows up that, they never like it wasn't on anybody's recruiting radar. It's because Preston Murphy made him over the summer with him with tools and just yeah, just gets it done. Like a cyborg. It's funny though because a couple of days ago we asked for questions via Twitter um, from the fan base and our friend Schmitty, who goes by the handle Bert's Mustache, uh, with a really nice looking Burt Reynolds photo as his avatar. Yeah. It's it's a really well done Twitter handle and um kind of an entire brand for schmitty there but you know looking back at how things turned out he asked would mac do anything differently with the point guard spot after mo went down and i think you know mac himself answers that question in in the interview so uh, but i think you did a really good job of uh, summarizing or summarizing exactly what that would be um what that answer is another yeah. question i really liked uh from one of our favorite follows in blue jays land is garrett mueller he just asked the question why which i thought was i mean you talk about fans on social media clamoring for this and that and you know we love social media that's where all of our readers are and it's just it's amazing uh just the questions and the why it's such a great um one to one to throw at us there from Garrett, who's on top of things all the time. But I mean, I'm I sure do want to do want to say to Garrett too. Like I made a I made a road trip with him down to uh, Topeka, not Kansas, um, for volleyball. And I want to say is that 
when him and his wife Steph moved to Colorado, crazy volleyball took off. I mean, they made a Sweet Sixteen, they made an Elite Eight. So you know, super fan. Once once he moved out of the state and stopped attending Creighton games, then they started taking off. So I don't know what that means, Garrett, if you're listening. Um, but the writing on the wall there with, the, with coinciding with that move, that program went next level. So next level, big time. They, they, they warm out there in the Rocky Mountains, but right. um, so I mean. I know we're kind of playing around here, but any answer to Garrett's question of why, Matt D? Uh, why? Let's see. Because torn ACL, because 9 for 31, because, yeah, I'm good on that. Those are the two reasons. Those are two really good reasons. I mean, let's be I honest. Those are the two reasons for it all right there. I mean, I agree. that's it. Yeah. Um, and I, I – I'm probably going to ask Garrett. He can follow up with on this, but like when he put when he when he posted that question, why is it like looking down at the ground, like shaking your head, like why, like uh, why, or is it like Nancy Kerrigan, like why, like put me out of my misery, like what happened to me, yeah. like I just got hit by a blunt object, why? I mean, there's a lot you can read into here. It's it's kind, sure. of, kind of blowing my mind right now, but. Now I'm not even really sure if I answered that properly or not based on those two possibilities. Huh. Uh, I would say both. I mean, if I'm Nancy Kerrigan this, and I'm screaming, why? Like I did when Mo went down with the knee, I'm thinking it's that torn ACL. And yeah, if I'm yeah. sitting there a couple beers deep during the NCAA tournament game on St. Patrick's Day and they can't hit the broadside of a barn, or maybe that's the only part of the barn that they're hitting is the broadside where the rim is not and the backboard <laughs> is not. Then I'm just looking right. down at the ground like, seriously, why? Why is this? Because, I mean, that's what we're all thinking there, right? It had been a couple of years since the Jays were back in the dance. You know, I know we don't have our point guard because his knee's trash, but I also know that we have what is looking like a future potential lottery pick and uh, consensus first-team all-Big East guard and the best defensive player in the Big East and a Rhode Island team that, while good, wasn't exactly like – Oh, I don't know, wearing a white jersey that day either. So, you know, why? I'm just staring down at the ground, kicking kicking myself. Why? Why is this happening? So I'm with, I'm with Garrett. I mean, I don't know why we even did this podcast in that because now I'm all sorts of mad again. I know why we did it because <laughs> we love we love to talk about creating athletics and thank you Lawlers and all that stuff. Right? Oh yeah. No. I'm just <laughs> Should we get to our questions? I'm or? just doing this so I don't have to be at the baseball game because, man, you talk about something that's frustrating me hey, now. You're down the there. Top. Come on now. They're Jay's coming up. Step. They're on the top step of the dugout right now, down 5-4 to four with Isaac Collins leading off. They got, got two out right now. Here comes the pitch, and he grounds it back to the – no, it's foul. Okay. We're working on it. All right, let's, um, let's get back to, get questions. to questions. Yeah, questions? Yeah. Uh, since we just rehashed the pain – that was the Rhode Island game. Let's fast forward all the way through like typical fans do, like myself included does. Let's talk about next year's postseason because that's what Wyatech PT um, on Twitter wants to know about. What are the postseason expectations for the Blue Jays next year? Let's just jump right into it, Matt. What are your postseason expectations? Like, are we talking results, like final result, like what round and stuff like that? Are we no, talking- I think – I mean, I think even the craziest of fans isn't going to go out and say, like, oh, you know, based on the fact that we have two open scholarships, I think we'll win 
three games in the NCAA tournament. I'm just talking, is it going to be like a CBI appearance? Is it going to be an NIT appearance? Are we going back to the dance? What's the deal? Well, the two places I cover this Creighton men's basketball team at are the Championship Center and the Century Link Center. And those are two of the best facilities in the entire country, bar none, to A, play home basketball games, and B, practice every day. So, and they have 24-hour access to the championship center, so there's no excuses not to be in there for extra work or things like that. So, my standard, if you're asking my personal opinion every year, is this way tournament is the bare minimum. So, whatever that means as far as Big East tournament, I don't know. You know how far they advance in that. Don't be in the playing game, I guess, because that means you're in the NCAA tournament. So, don't be in the playing game of the Big East tournament and make it to the NCAA tournament comfortably. Like, don't be sweating on Selection Sunday. That's I feel like I feel like that's the standard. So, that's the standard they set. That's the leadoff runner up. There you um, go. Uh, and uh, so that's the standard that men's basketball has set for themselves. That's the, the, they, they have the the support for it. They have the coaching staff that can develop it. They have the talent to do it. And still, so they turn it. And they're in a league that even if you are in the play-in game, you can apparently make it to the sweet freaking apparently 16. Apparently you can make it to the Elite so, Eight. So, yeah. whatever. Apparently you can be losing to DePaul at halftime of a play-in game in the Big East tournament and make the Elite Eight in the same year. Those those both can be true, apparently. We that, is a, that. that is a strong league and a very frustrating uh, development <laughs> for yours truly, as the rest of our podcasting season uh, clearly outlined for our listeners. So, I mean, I know that there's the big old pat everybody on the back because it's all league brethren trying to make nice runs in the Big East tournament. But come on now. Like, I just can't get with that. So, good for them, uh, you, I suppose. You only, for, you only root for one team. In that Trayvon's team. out there smoking, you know, celebratory <laughs> blunts everywhere or whatever. That's fine. Um, isn't that a typical Xavier offseason, though? Like, isn't that just, like, par for the course? Like, I was kind of wondering. And, and there's double play. Oh, nice. Uh, is that why you bunt, or that's why that's why you bunt? Down by one in the ninth, that's absolutely why you bunt. And Ed's not here, and they didn't call the bunt. Oh, swung away, grounder back to the up the middle. You gads. Okay. Top pass pitcher, easy four six three. Well, this thing is grinding uh, tonight. Yeah, <laughs> this is a grinding out podcast. So... Um, yeah, so I, we're, mean, I say it's a little tournament. What do you say? You say it's a tournament too, right? I mean, oh yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we saw it this year in the in overall. I mean, I'm not a big bracketology guy. I mean, I'll pay attention to it, but I think it's safe to say that at the end of the day, the strong leagues got the majority of their teams in. Yeah. Um, and. I don't see an instance in the next two to three years where the Big East is not a strong league, and especially next year because other than whatever is flaming down the Potomac River in Georgetown, um, I don't see where even a team like DePaul is not better next year. I mean, um, you could argue that the most talented guy on on, uh, Villanova's – bench could even play last year yeah um yeah. you know i in amari spellman you got guys coming in for all these and teams booth. what and phil booth who was really good in the NCAA tournament last year right 
So, I mean, I don't see a situation where the Big East plummets by any means. Um, no. You know, the Big Ten might be a little bit stronger next year. You know, there might the ACC might not be as. Here's um, why you is Riley Landage laced one in the left field. Of course. Tied the game that would have tied the game if they bunted. So. Um, you know, I just, I just, I think that yeah, anybody that would say otherwise, um, I would be frustrated with them because I think clearly the expectation is with the resources, the league, the facilities, the types of kids that. Mac brings in, and especially these new kids. I mean, let's be honest. If we get Tugs Bowen to commit, mm-hmm. uh, that's like a top twenty class, if not like oh, yeah. top fifteen. Easily. So, Balak, Alexander, those guys are highly rated dudes. That, um, and in Tyshawn's case, is playing for just as strong historically of a program as this La Lumiere team that produced Epperson and. Uh, Bowen. So, I mean, if, Tyler, if it's studs. what Jaron Jackson, Tiger Campbell, all those guys, it's studs in that group. Yeah. So, you know, I think we just we have to wait and see. But I think anything less than an, a return trip to the NCAA tournament and right. it's not a good year. So, right, I agree. Uh, that's that's that. Uh, and if it's, come back for a senior season to play in the NIT. So no. No, but he needs to make shots when he gets to the NCAA tournament. No, I agree. Hey, uh, I agree with that. But I'm just saying he didn't come, but he didn't. He didn't pass up a oh, oh, oh. We got a tie game. That a baby Blue Jays. Little Robertson with a two out REI double to tie the game. That a baby. Five five in the ninth. Well, the runner on second. All right. Wow. Finish them. Yeah, this game's. Good. Four hours, five hours long. Um, anyway, right. yeah, Marcus Foster didn't come. I mean, he didn't pass up an overseas pro contract or a potential, you know, flyer second round NBA draft selection to play in the NIT next year. So I don't feel like we're raising the bar any higher than they are in the gym. So good, as it should be. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's. Uh, Jeremy Hauer has a two-part question. I love those, man. I love the two-parters. Okay, does Mac expect to modify his defensive style if the Jays get more athletic roster as expected now, heading into year five of the Big East? The continuation of that is Mac is known for in-depth scouting report defensive style. Does he ever worry about paralysis by analysis? I thought this question was pretty – when I first got this question, I thought about it for hours. So I was thinking, I was trying to think about how much different is that in compared to other successful programs. You know what I mean? Sure. So I'm trying to think, and I know a story came out right before the Final Four, maybe during the Final Four, about um, Roy Williams' coaching style. And, and I was thinking, why does Roy Williams never get mentioned in like that first echelon of great coaches? And um, – and uh, that's why you bunt, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking bunt. Got a bunt. Um, <laughs> hey, Alex. Yeah, and then uh, I was thinking, and then the, it's, it's pretty much it was outlined pretty well in that in that piece that was written. Was you know there are it's not very specific. You know, he pretty much has a simple system that he just expects to be perfected, and that's why he's freaking out on the sideline all the time because it's usually not. 
Um, so I'm wondering how many coaches are actually like in-depth scouting report type of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I know Coach K is. We know Mac is. Um, we know Jay Wright was against Villain or against uh, North Carolina um, when they won the national championship. Uh, you know, we know Xavier has is uh, you know has scouting report specific defenses, and they like to mix it up and things like that. Um, I don't think so. I don't think the the analysis of the scouting reports or the in depth nature and what they are are going to change at all. I actually think it's a big reason Creighton's been as successful as they have been under Mac because let's, I mean, if we're just being honest, they've had games where they weren't the most talented team on the floor. So if Creighton's not trying to win games by being, you know, having higher IQ basketball players and being scouting and sports specific, how are they going to try to win games? Yeah. I, my, my, I guess that would be my follow up. My question my rebuttal, you know what I mean? Because I feel like even in the four, even in 2014-15 when Creighton, you know, was 14 and 19, was, is that what the record was? I don't want to talk uh, about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the result. Uh, yeah. You know, if you just think about, you know, the Villanova game came down to the wire. Uh, they won at Xavier and then played another game against Xavier down to the wire. Uh, beat Oklahoma. I mean – there were so many games against teams that were just that, that Creighton was outmatched against, like virtually outmatched completely. Should have been blown off the floor. You know what I mean? And they weren't. That's because of coaching and scouting. I mean, because your players can follow a scouting report, and if you execute it, the other team, you're taking away what the other team does well, right? That's what you scout, and you try to take it away. So I don't, I don't see that changing at all. I think it's a huge, a huge part of what they do from – the assistance all the way up to Mac is Scotty Report, and they have, you know, the, going back to like Tom Izzo and when you know when he was, everybody wonders why he is able to make such great runs in the NCAA tournament. And same with Coach K, like their video departments were ahead of the curve, weren't they? Didn't they have guys in there like dissecting film of game film and things like way before anybody was doing that? Oh yeah, especially I mean I that was a big. That. I feel like they were the trendsetters, right? That was a big Izzo. Um... You know, piece. I I remember. I can't remember who ran it, but yeah, just like an inside look at what Izzo's entire staff is responsible for, how much trust he puts in everybody, all the way down to that first year video guy, and how they mm-hmm. just work tirelessly to bring them every piece of information possible. Because it is you. I mean, let's be honest. Like everybody is looking for that edge. And if yes. that edge is found by a 21-year-old video grad assistant at 2 in the morning breaking down game film because you gave him a shot and you gave him the right tools to do his job or her job, great. Who's to say that that's not a linchpin to a successful model that just at the surface looks like, oh, Izzo really gets his team fired up to play and Izzo's got right. all this yeah. great talent. I mean – a lot of it is just what you're willing to do and how far you're willing to go behind the scenes, how hard right. you're willing to work to make it work. Yeah, he's not the greatest rah-rah coach in the history of the game. He's prepared. His guys are prepared. Man, that's, yeah. I feel, like, I feel like that's the best way to not panic in a situation. You know what I mean? Sure. If you have, if you have a plan. You know? well, I mean, let's, let's, just talk, a, let's just talk for a second about Dana Altman. And, you know, Dirk Chatlin did a great piece in the World Herald – uh, talking to a bunch of the former players, and there, I know there were a lot of like in-depth um, 
articles and, and pieces and coverage about Dana, especially locally here as they made their run. Um, and it was, you know, it was really great to watch, but uh, I can't remember if it was Doug Swenson or maybe it was Donnie Johnson or Crutcher. Maybe it was Randall. Somebody saying, you know, Dana was is great because he always has a plan. And sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, that's why he's so skinny and never gains any weight and always looks nervous or whatever, but he's always planning. He's always thinking about what that is. And, um, you know, it was no fluke that Creighton got good under Dana. It wasn't a fluke that Dana made Kansas State good while he was there. And it's not a fluke that Dana, now with a ton more resources and the Nike swoosh and a great place to play basketball, has done the same thing at Oregon. I mean, like, let's be honest. Oregon played in the CBI when we played in the friggin' CBI. Right. And they are better now. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it just comes down to what you what? have, what you're willing to do and what your plan is. Yeah. yeah I'm just saying like they, they, but the point is like their standards are a certain way and they have a certain way they go about their business. Yep. That's with a very specific detailed over-prepared, if you will, game plan every single time out. I mean, they were, they, they, they played like garbage. I thought they played really poorly against North Carolina and they had a chance to win that game. Why? Cause they took away what North Carolina wanted to do well. And they hung in there on the glass. I mean, Bend those knees. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't just go in there and go. Well, we're just going to go in there and you know, I know he's got his altmanisms. Swing away, hit those throws, those throws. Like, there's the the altmanisms are simple and they're, you know, not yeah. prior everybody loves them. But I mean, game plan wise, there's still a plan there. Sure. So I mean, I know it's you know, I don't mean to totally dismiss the idea that you know you can over prepare your team or maybe get them thinking too much on the floor. But I feel like they have to have some kind of preparation done from the scouting report perspective. Like Kyrie Thomas is a great defender because he knows the scouting report. Right. And really, his I mean, he's he's got attributes. You know what I mean? He's got length. He's got long arms, and he can disrupt guys and things like that. Um, he's physical, but he's not the fastest guy in the world. No, Certainly not. not. From a foot speed perspective, the reason he's able to guard guys so well is because he knows where they want to be on the floor. He knows where they want to go. That's that's scouting. He fought like D-Rock and those guys, they prepare him to guard the best guy on the floor every single time out. And he is just, he zones in during practice, during the game plan specific times. And he's, he knows what he's supposed to do when the lights turn on. That's why he's, that's why he's the best defender in, in the league and maybe the country. And that's why he's only going to get better because he's prepared. God, it's not, excited not, it's not just, it's not just raw talent. I know I would, you know, kind of play up how frustrating it is to talk about when the Jays lose and stuff on my end, but God, how, how exciting is it going to be to watch Kyrie Thomas play next year? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you've listened to the Mac interview. I mean, he says Kyrie has potential to be that next great Creighton player that goes to the NBA. I mean, he's, he thinks he's that good. And he and, thinks he like, just from a, a work ethic perspective and how he improved from his freshman to sophomore year. I mean, that's like a Doug McDermott type of jump. We haven't seen like both ends of the four production. I mean, that's, yeah. And I'm telling guy, you, man. If, like, if he keeps learning at the trajectory that he learns at or that he's developed at, look out. And I think what's really telling about that statement is something that also comes up in the interview. When you talk to Coach Mack about how he handles prepping a Justin Patton and his family for making the decision, how he prepped and what he talked to Doug about when Doug was trying to decide whether to come back you know, after his junior year. Um you know, Mac doesn't take his responsible 
responsibilities lightly. He speak he does his due diligence. He speaks to GMs. He talks to people that he knows and that he trusts to then give feedback to the players, right? So if a guy like Mac, who has a good sense of what it would take to make that jump, go goes ahead and says that about Kyrie, like that makes me feel really good. Like I'm what like I'm actually seeing what I think I feel like I'm seeing, which is this burgeoning player just coming out of um, you know, a really interesting spot and making a way for himself to that next level. And, you know, I, I that's just it's really exciting to see because Marcus is what Marcus is, right? And Marcus might make more shots next year. Marcus we know is gonna come correct with his body, um, finely tuned and strong and then stronger and he's gonna work hard. Like you said, he didn't come back to pass up a professional career no matter where it would start um, to make the CBI, right? So Marcus is coming coming in. Uh, Caleb, Joseph, who you guys talk about in the interview, he, oh, man. I mean, he's just he's priming himself to take that spot that Coach Max said none of the guys behind Maurice went and grabbed when it he became got, available. Uh, Caleb, and Caleb, just for the people out there that like, haven't had a chance to see him on a daily basis, I mean, he got so much stronger than he was back in September, I mean, it's kind of like, it's almost jarring a little bit. It's kind of like it's, like when Cole Huck put on all that muscle, and I was like, whoa, like, that's what Caleb looks cut. I mean, and he's, I think he's, if I'm if I'm, if I'm picking a lineup next year, I have him already as a starting point guard, just based on his abilities. Now, obviously, there's going to be time for Davion to develop, and, you know, certainly there's going to be a battle there. I'm not saying that it's done, but if you're telling me, if you're putting a, you know, you're putting a gun to my head and tell me who's the starting point guard next year right now on day one, I'm saying Caleb Joseph. So that's just based on what I've seen so far. And, you know, I'm willing to go that far to say it. I think he's, you know, I don't think he's one of the best point guards in the country, but I certainly think he's capable of um, running this team, having a running a successful team and making this team, helping this team have a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Sure. What's our next question? Uh, my favorite question that we received, it comes from Alex Sindler. Uh, this is not basketball related, but he asks, is it time for Tom Chattel to write an article about Creighton Baseball hosting a regional? Okay, so I'm not sure if you know the inside story on this or not. Um, I want to know it because I love how Alex's mind thinks. You can tell him that. I know he's sitting in the booth with you right now like – drawing pictures of people bunting or whatever, but you tell him I appreciate his his humor and his, his thought process. He's a few booths down, but I'll relay the message. Right. Um, the inside story behind this is that, uh, as you know, or may remember, or maybe you've uh, erased it from your memory, I wouldn't blame you. Um, Creighton baseball team last year was rolling into May. Yeah. Uh, rolling into May. Like, unprecedented. Like, about to host... Um, you know, potentially being talked about to host a regional at the home of the College World Series and all that. So when that all went down and when the chatter started to go about that, Tom wrote a piece about Creighton <laughs> potentially hosting a regional and all that stuff. And then the team went on to Crater the rest of their season after that. So it was like it, it became Alex's turning point of the year. Mine was the loss at Georgetown, but for Alex it was the – Tom Chattel article. Nice. So he's, he asked that question, I think. When did uh, – yeah, they just got done with the St. John series. So to kind of like probably to turn the season around. 
um, it works in reverse. So I would say as I sit here in the 10th inning of a tie game against South Dakota State, yeah, it's time for someone to write that thing. So Okay. Or someone to reverse the mojo in some manner. I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, that was all the questions we really had on the Twitters tonight. Um, I'm sure we'll get more uh, after the fact, and then people will be all grumpy because that's what happens on social media. That That's okay. You know, I was super we'll excited. Plenty, we'll have plenty more podcasts for them. Oh, we got a whole summer of podcasting coming up. Um, I, I mean, I guess I was expecting someone to ask us who can't really talk too much about uh, a guy like Tugs Bowen about a report that came out today. Uh, some of the folks at Rivals saying they expect or they predict Creighton will be the the landing spot for Brian Bowen, who we've talked about earlier. I thought we might get some run from the recruit Knicks on social media following the Jays. I mean, I mean that'd be my question is if they are able to – go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Oh, sorry. They think Creighton's the favorite is what you're saying? That's no, what Eric Bossy and uh, Christine Peake, both from Rivals, they um, they predict Creighton will land 2017 star Brian Bowen. This was as of uh, this morning, uh, round lunch. Well, oh, Alonzo Trier, Alonzo Trier is still at Arizona. He hasn't, he hasn't declared for the NBA yet, right? Uh, right. That's my understanding. Okay, so – so from my understanding, Arizona is currently has Alonzo Trier still in the mix, and they are also recruiting um, Pitt transfer Cam Johnson, right? Is that okay. what he's transferred? Cameron from? Johnson, yeah. Yeah. So he's a six eight. He's a six eight kind of stretch guy um, who you know probably plays Bowen's position. So that's two guys that Arizona's one that Arizona has and one that they're after that have that play Bowen's position. So I'm wondering if the rivals guys think that's maybe an indication that Bowen is um, cold on Arizona and that they're, he's moving towards either Creighton or Michigan State. I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, Is, I mean, Miles, is Miles Bridges still in the mix at Michigan State? He hasn't committed yet or declared yet, has he? I haven't heard. No, I haven't heard. So, I mean, it certainly helps. I think it certainly helps Creighton uh, the fact that, A, they have a lot of talent coming back. Um, I, I, think, I don't think losing Justin hurts them that much. I mean, just because, you know, I still think there's a lot, enough here for him to be successful. Plus, when you look at Arizona and what they kind of have on their roster currently, there's a lot, there's kind of like a, you know, a logjam at his position, the position he normally plays. Sure. So maybe that's, maybe maybe he is a Creighton lean. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know yeah, either. I'm ready for him to come back. I mean, I'm just. I mean, I like. Let's be honest. I'm kind of tired of people asking me about it. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, like I understand the kid holding out. I get it. Like I, you know, you're only do this like once. Hey, it goes him. back to what like, I was saying earlier. Like you got to do what's best for you, right? This right. is a this is a you thing. You got to make that choice. I mean, I didn't know. It was May before I started college, where I knew I where I wanted to go. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I kind of knew, but isn't that funny that I chose Creighton over Xavier? <laughs> How amazing is that? Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. I'd be the biggest Chris Mack fan now if I had gone there, and you and I would you not think, be talking. You think you'd be heckling the Creighton Blue Jays? Like, oh, right now? no, I would never do that. I have, I'm I'm like a couple guys I know. I mean that they would went to Xavier, for, but they're huge be, Jays fans and big Xavier fans, and that's just how they are. Would you be cheering every time JV Mahira? Oh boy, 
Wow, I want to play. Um, Creighton almost won, but they haven't yet. Uh, anyway, do you think you'd be like cheering every time JP Mercura trips somebody? Oh, dude! If JP Mercura was on our team, I'd be I'd be a huge <laughs> fan of his game. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> it's like a not as effective Grant Gibbs. Right. So, um, or maybe Grant's just a little bit more endearing because he played for our team. But um, I digress. Uh, we've obviously talked a lot tonight. This was a this was a wrap up. Um, it's kind of a season wrap, but obviously, you know, this season was twenty five and ten. Return back to the NCAA tournament. And if you just look at that, you're like, yeah, pretty good. You know, but yeah. just really just one of those seasons where statistics just don't do it justice for the roller coaster and how high the highs were, how low the lows were, and everything in the middle. I mean, it was just such a unique season for great men's basketball. And, um, you know, it's hard not to think that, um, like the, you know, the what could have been, should have been, would have been type of mantras kind of running through your head. But that's sports, man. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? I agree. It's hard to tell the whole story by saying, well, they went 25 and 10 this year. Right. But you and Mac do a good job in your 25 minutes, uh, kind of tell a little bit more of the story, right, and recapping some of the stuff that happened. So um, we're going to end our podcast with your interview with Coach Greg McDermott tonight. Um, I hope a lot of you have uh, stuck around and aren't just fast-forwarding to the interview with Mac. But um, if you stuck around and – uh, and listen to us. We really appreciate it. The um, you know the podcast is sponsored every week by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Um, really Thank big, you, really big thanks to Lawler's for their support this year. We hope we can uh, kind of keep that keep that relationship going because you know right around the corner here, Matt, it's going to be time for uh, not only taking a, a deeper look at Creighton baseball. We'll have the Big East baseball tournament here. We'd love to do some podcasting from TD Ameritrade Park. Um, you know, assuming the Jays qualify for that tournament, um, you know, and, uh, then we'll be right back into college world series. And, um, for those of you, uh, for those of you that, that come to the site, maybe during basketball season and don't realize that Matt's down there covering the CWS every year. And we've got photographers down there. We do a good job. I mean, pat ourselves on the back. I feel like we do a really good job and we have done a really good job ever since we started, um, of covering the college world series, with a, a with a local angle, so um, mm. you know, we'll I, I'm sure we'll be doing some podcasting uh, around that as well. Um, sounds like that's from like, your... that's like my icing on the cake every year is getting to cover that. Oh, I mean, it kind of wraps up the season for me. Yeah, and then you get oh, it starts in the fall with women's soccer and it ends in June with the college world series. Then you get July to like say, what am I doing? Why am I here? Yeah. What is the yeah. meaning of life? And then you're like, exactly. oh yeah. Sit, going to soccer practices was the meaning of life. Right. Uh, yeah. like but you decide to do what no one else would do in the world. Right. Yeah. But you do it outstandingly. And um, as much as I want to thank Lawlers, I want to thank you even more because um, this podcast would not happen without you. Would not happen. Um, we wouldn't get access to sitting down for a half hour with Coach Mack if it weren't for you going to practice every day, proving yourself to be a professional in this field. And, um, Max says it, you know, you're there every day. You see the practices, you see what the coaches see and you report on it in a completely non-biased way. So you've done an outstanding job every year. You've been involved, uh, with WBR map, but 
um, this season have really taken it to the next level. And these podcasts, I feel like, are a big part of it because guys are coming to you, players throughout campus and coaches. Um, you know, your interviews with Coach Booth are the best in town. And I think she she talks to you more than she talks to any reporter, local or otherwise. Um, and we've been covering her as as the program has risen to new heights. So a lot of that is, uh, most of that's, uh, you know, up to you and because of you. So really, really appreciate it, Matt. And um, I think this is a nice little kind of cherry on top for the season to be able to spend 30 minutes talking with Mac and getting his honest impressions about how things went and where things will go and how things are headed. Thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. Of course. Uh, you know, it's a lot of fun getting to do this, and I'm glad you guys gave me the opportunity. Maybe one of these podcasts will tell the story of the humble beginnings of how that started with you just saying, hey, we want someone to cover women's soccer, and then me just asking season by season, hey, can I cover this? Can I cover that? Be like, I like women's soccer, and I also like <laughs> uh, UFC. I'm like, that's cool. I mean, yeah, that works. <laughs> I sent you my resume, and it was nothing but UFC articles. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's not really the sport, but he can do it. So let's but, try if a fight breaks out during a men's soccer oh. game and we know that those guys like talk a big game, right? They get all into their faces. I figured at least you could kind of give us the play by play of what was happening. Absolutely. Like, move I'm, I'm fully prepared for when that happens. Absolutely. But isn't it funny that like Heath at banter, another big UFC guy, you guys yeah. are just like part of it, right? Yeah. We're um, huge. UFC. Yeah, we have to get, I mean, we haven't got together in a few, maybe a couple last couple pay reviews, but yeah, we usually try to meet up either at his house or somewhere to watch the fights. So, so when Creighton Athletics starts its underground fight club, you right. guys will be there to document it all, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Me. We'll Sounds be running good. the show. And okay. Lawlers will be there to sponsor it. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so without further ado, Matt, let's just go ahead and jump into this interview, and that'll be the end of the show for us tonight. So, um, again, Matt, big thanks to you. Huge thanks to Lawlers, and really big thanks to Coach Mack for taking the time. Um, and and we really appreciate all of you listening at home or on 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 your phones, driving, at work, passing the passing the time. However you're doing it, we really appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully, you can uh, spread the word to some other fellow Creighton fans as we keep fine tuning our efforts in this podcast. So, um, Matt, unless you have anything else, I'll just wrap it up. You got anything else? I'm good, man. I feel better. All right, Thanks buddy. I appreciate it. I think I did all right tonight. I know I feel I probably sound nasally, but I probably sound like that way all the time. So um, I guess with that, we'll go ahead and sign off tonight. Um, coming up right now is uh, Matt DeMarinis' exclusive interview with Creighton men's basketball head coach Greg McDermott on the Blue Jays Bites podcast sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Uh, sitting here... For another episode of the Blue Jay Bites podcast with uh, Creighton head men's basketball coach Greg McDermott, uh, Mac, I appreciate the time. I know it's uh, by a little Masters hangover, right? You know, you might not. Do you usually take Masters Monday off, or <laughs> how do you? Uh, I, it's one of my favorite days of the year because generally it falls at a time when we aren't able to recruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's maybe one of the first times since September that you can hang on your couch on a Sunday afternoon and, and enjoy something that's not basketball related. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was a great finish. I was, I've, I've always, uh, been kind of a Sergio fan. Uh, and, you know, think the, think that the way that he's kind of evolved as a, as a golfer, uh, you know, he's, he had a huge ego, was extremely cocky when he was younger and obviously he's been humbled and continued to grind in the way he kind of 
overcame some adversity in the middle of that round to come back to win and, and really hit some solid shots down the stretch. It's pretty cool to watch. Uh, speaking of someone who was cocky at a younger age and maybe is more humble now, I'll give you a, a little joke on Twitter. But, I mean, you see all these old guys winning tournaments without without Tiger around now. Do you have – Do you, are you encouraged by that? Do you have a shot at the Masters yet? I don't have enough game, that's for sure. But I do I do love to play. And, and uh, I like watching guys compete at that level because everybody is so good. Uh, I mean, it's it's no different than watching the best of the best, and whether you're watching a Super Bowl or a World Series or the finals of the NBA playoffs, when you get some of the best in in the world competing against each other, and you know how do they act? How do they act when you know they get a bad bounce? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how how, could, how do they recover from missing a three or four foot putt, which which both guys did down the stretch yesterday? And how, how do you get the train back on the track and get yourself uh, refocused and ready to go? So. Uh, in, in terms of being mentally tough and mentally focused, I think the game of golf, you know, it tests you in a lot of ways because not every shot is perfect. One more unrelated question because uh, Doug, you obviously got traded to Oklahoma City, so you got to be a part of a little history here with uh, Russell breaking uh, Oscar's triple-double in a season number with that number 42. I mean, <clears throat> have you talked to him about that, about what the, what's it been like to, you know, work on a daily basis with a guy like that and what it was like to watch him make that? You know, such a historic mark that no yeah. one thought was going to be broken. Yeah, well, first of all, just because it hasn't been done for so long, and I, I think it, as you think about the all-time great players in the history of the NBA, Oscar Robinson has to be in the conversation simply because he averaged a triple-double mm-hmm. for a couple seasons in a row, and it hasn't been done in over 50 years since uh, until Russ was able to accomplish the, the feat yesterday. Uh, but, you know, what's been cool for me is, you know, is hearing Doug, Doug talk about what a good teammate Russell Westbrook is, uh, you know, how he's one of the first to practice, one of the last to leave, doesn't want to lose drills, and then off the floor is, is you know, one of the best guys in the locker room. So when you have a guy that's extremely competitive uh, like he is, and when you hear that he's got good leadership qualities, he cares about his teammates, and, you know, he the guy needs to score, and he's got to make a lot of things happen for mm-hmm. that team to be successful. So... From the outside looking in, if you don't know the story, maybe you think the guy's a little selfish. But I think he's a, I think he's an incredible competitor and incredible talent. Uh, and and when you add to it, and we talked about mental toughness, the, the the game-winning shots and the way he's gotten his team back into some games here the last month or so has been really incredible. So it, it's been fun to sit back and watch. And uh, I've been fortunate; I've been able to attend a couple games since our season's been over, and and to watch him up close firsthand is pretty incredible. Let's just get into. Kind of, I want to go into the little back in time of the Rhode Island game and the you know the aftermath of it before we get into JP obviously. But how much of when something like that ends? I know you're a competitive guy. And I know that those things eat at you. But how much do you? I mean, are you the kind of guy who's going to just sit and think about that constantly until you're forced not to until the next opponent's on the schedule? Or I mean, how do you dissect? a situation like that where you know it's the end of the season and there's no games left to play. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I, you know, I haven't watched the game yet. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm, and, and part of it is when you, when you watch that game and you, uh, and you, and you tuck it away somewhere, that's, that's kind of the end. And, uh, you know, I, uh, there's so many good things that happened this season and, and I don't want my off season to end in a negative. Uh, and watching that game and going through it again and beating yourself up for decisions that you may have made and, and you know not putting guys in a good enough position to be successful. Uh, but the reality of it is is I knew Rhode Island was good in our mm-hmm. preparation. I didn't 
I wasn't crazy about the matchup because of how they play and maybe where our team was at the time, that matchup wasn't wasn't great for us. Um, but, you know, to get back on that stage was, was really cool. And it, it was another step in the right direction for our program and hopefully it's something we can build upon. But sometime this summer I'll take a look at it, I'll break it down. And, you know, you, you want to use that experience for the next time mm-hmm. uh, you're in that situation. And you really evaluate, <coughs> excuse me, everything about, that weekend you know is there anything we could have done better with our travel with our preparation leading up to that game you know when we practiced how we practiced that we could have done different to give ourselves a better chance to be successful and after every season you evaluate those sorts of things and and that'll be on the list of things that we'll do this summer I'm not sure how much you've had a chance to think it over but when you look at the the point guard situation after Maurice went down you know there were times when when you're trying to mix and match and just worry about the day and the moment and winning that game, and do you, I mean, when you go back and think about how Z was the option one day and Tyler one day and Davion and then Ronnie late, I mean, how do you uh, summarize what how that battle turned out and how it seemed to be, no one really kind of grabbed a hold of it? No, and, and you know, you were in practice most every day, so you know better than most right. what we were dealing with because... Uh, you were able to witness and practice some of the things that we saw in games uh, and where one guy was good one day and not so good the next and struggled mm-hmm. with a game prep and maybe somebody else was a little bit better at that game prep. So uh, there wasn't enough separation, and, and frankly, that's what we were looking for uh, as a coaching staff is somebody just to grab it by the horns and clearly be uh, the best person for us on the offensive and defensive end, and then you add to it because of the result of playing that position, the leadership component that goes with that. So while I think they all got better as time went on, and they certainly all brought some strengths to that position, uh, there were certainly some things that held us back as well. And some of it is because we didn't have a ton of experience there. And with inexperience, you're going to have some mistakes and you're going to have some inconsistencies, and that turned out to be the case. But, you know, there were <clears throat> there were games, you know, I think back to the Big East tournament and our win against Providence, I thought Davion did some great things and win against Xavier. Tyler did some great things. Uh, you know, our win at Xavier, Z was really terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ronnie played good. The second half of Villanova and played good against Rhode Island. So, you know, all those things, I think, because they were put in that position, I think all of them improved, and you know, three of those four guys are back, and I think the the experience that they had this season is only going to make them better, uh, a little bit more hungry next season. Um, one of the guys who didn't have a say in the matter was uh, Caleb Joseph, who's obviously point guard transfer from Syracuse. You brought in; he was redshirting last <coughs> year. Um, what what's it been like to watch him in practice, and how has he developed into that role? And how much of a say do you think he'll have in that point guard battle once the fall workouts yeah, start? I, I think he's going to fight tooth and nail to make sure it's his uh, because that's the type of competitor he has been. And, uh, you know, I, since the season's been over, there's been nobody that's been in the gym more than he has. Uh, you know, when I'm up here, I can hear the balls bouncing. You peek out the window to see who's down there. And often, more often than not, it's Caleb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his work ethic has been terrific. I think he, he has the demeanor and the leadership characteristics of a good point guard uh, his shooting's got is vastly improved and defensively he's made some strides during the offseason and also changed his body now you you go from a situation where you're playing with incredible freedom on the scout team where your mistakes aren't magnified to mm-hmm. now you're under the spotlight and everything that you do 
uh, is being picked apart by your coaching staff and on film and, and to try to make sure that we get it better. So I like the combination of he and Davion there. Uh, you know, and obviously we have some other guys in the program. Ronnie's proven he can play it a little bit. Uh, I think Tyshawn will be able to play some point if need be. And, and we still have two scholarships left. So depending on how everything shakes down, it'll determine, you know, what we're going to do there. If we're going to add another person who maybe can play that position a little bit or a combination of those positions, uh, it's kind of a wait and see in that regard. Speaking of Ronnie, does he have a chance, I guess, to kind of get comfortable in the role that you guys have naturally put him in these last couple of years? Or do you think he still has some say in, you know, some point guard minutes next year, considering how he played in, you know, a, short, a small sample size, but still a sample size? I mean, player. in the perfect world, I'd, I'd rather play him in another position because yeah. I think he can bring more to the table at those positions. And uh, But, you know, Ronnie made some good strides this year and, and – you know, we're, we're thin at the four spot right now uh, because of, you know, graduation number one. Toby's going to be on the shelf for three or four months with the ankle injury mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and surgery that followed that up. Um, and then with Justin leaving. So there's a, you know, there's, we're thin by numbers in the front line. And I think there's an opportunity there for Ronnie. Uh, you know, regardless if we add someone to the mix, you know, he's going to be in his fourth year in our program. And that experience in itself should trump anybody you're going to bring in. But, uh, you know, that's yet to be seen. But Ronnie's made good progress. And uh, uh, his decisions with the basketball were much improved from a year ago. He's continued to work on his shooting. And I think defensively he's made good strides as well. Speaking of the front line, uh, <coughs> Justin declared for the NBA draft, signed the agent. So he's moving on to the next stage of his career. And it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, watching all that play out and, you know, obviously – you see the social media reaction and the people reaching out and asking him to stay and wanting to see him in Omaha a little bit longer. And and it's funny, and you mentioned it in the press conference because it is, it's selfish, but it's not necessarily harmful, but people want him to stay. They want to see him. They want to be, you know, him have be a part of Creighton. And it also benefits you to have him at Creighton. But yet you're a guy who encouraged him probably more than anyone to take a look at this opportunity in front of him. How do you? How are you able to put that aside? Because it, it it benefits you to have him here longer, but also you know it's probably in his best interest to, you know, make that an opportunity that he takes advantage of. But part of my responsibility as a head basketball coach, and when we recruit young people to our program, and part of our promise to their parents is to make sure that when they're finished with Creighton, they're prepared to have a successful life after Creighton, mm -hmm. and. And Justin has put himself in a position where he can have a really successful career after Creighton based on what he's been able to accomplish here in two years. And, you know, could he come back and be better because of it? Absolutely. Uh, are there some r inherent risk to doing that? Yeah, yes, there are. And it's my responsibility to make sure <clears throat> Justin understands all of those. Uh, you know, that here are the positives to staying in school. Here are the potential negatives. Here are the positives of going to the NBA. Here are the potential negatives. And get that information to him and his family and then let them make a decision and support him. Uh, if, if I'm dishonest in that situation and Justin moves on to the NBA a year or two from now and the word gets out that I was selfish in my approach to Justin's decision on whether to go to the NBA uh, and withheld information because of Creighton and because of my own selfish reasons, 
why would anybody want to come and play for me? Right. So, uh, you know, I have a responsibility to Justin and everybody else that uh, that comes through here. And Maurice went through it last year when he declared for the draft, and I gave him all the information. I didn't think it was a good move at the time uh, because I, in the people that I talked to, he wasn't on anybody's radar. So I thought it would be a mistake to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, my job was to give him the information, then he makes his decision, much like I did with Justin and, and also did with Marcus. Uh, so, you know, is Justin ready to go to the NBA? Probably not. Uh, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't have went to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's in a position right now, and I had it confirmed by many GMs that I talked to, that he's probably going to be drafted in the top 10 to 20 in the, in the, in the NBA draft here in a couple months. And, and if that's the case... Uh, from where Justin's come from, you know, he deserves that opportunity. And he can go and have, you know, some of the best coaches in the world work on his game, continue to develop his game uh, while he's making a great living and, and finding out, figuring out a way to support his family, which he really wants to do. So uh, I meant it when I said it in the press conference. I, I don't have mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. Would I love to coach him? Absolutely. And was it fun to watch him grow? And I think there's a lot of growth left, no question. Uh, but I am excited for him and his family because I, you know, I've been part of the process and I've and I've I've seen, uh, you know, how much he cares about his family, how much he wants to help his family, and uh, he's going to be able to do that. And that's that's pretty cool stuff. And that's really what we're in the business for. This isn't lip service either. You thought Doug was ready to go after his junior year, as well. And that's your own son right there. I mean, you really have a good feel for when guys. I guess could kind of maximize and move on to the next step because ultimately, as you said, I mean, isn't that why you go to college so you can kind of have a gateway to a better life, you know, and some advancement in your career? Absolutely, and and much like I did with Justin, I, I explained to Doug all the pitfalls of coming back to school. Right, and you know, I was the biggest. As much as I hated to lose to Baylor that day, there was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders because Doug didn't get hurt, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and. You know, a decision that I made to put him in a game or whatever, and he blows an ankle or a knee, and now he can't go on an NBA career. You live with that the rest of your life. Uh, so, you know, I, I've, but the information I I provide to them isn't information from me. Mm-hmm. It's information I've gathered from talking to the people in the NBA. So, you know, I'm getting it not from a scout, not from an assistant GM, but the person that makes the decision that's at that table that's going to decide who to draft. They're the ones telling me, here's where Doug would be drafted. Here's what we think if he comes back. Here's what where Justin would be, and here's what he needs to do to improve it in a year or so. So, um, you know, it's it's been fun for me to be part of it. Uh, I went through it with Craig Brackens when I was at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've had other NBA players <coughs> from Iowa State, you know, Justin Hamilton, Wes Johnson, uh, Mike Taylor. Uh, Deontay Garrett played a couple of years in the NBA, is back overseas. So I've had guys that have done it before and have experienced it. So, uh, and then you also have a guy like Kyle Corver, who's been a great resource during Doug's situation in particular, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of help guide us through it. So I've had a lot of people that have helped me try to help these young guys. You make some more posters out there. Well, we're going to have to figure out a different way to go about that maybe. Those things got dated quick, man, Uh, didn't they? Yeah, we got all three guys with different uniforms on. But I'm going to propose something. I don't don't know if we maybe, uh, you know, do do the draft night pictures of of Doug and and, uh, 
Justin because they were there on draft night and mm -hmm. then maybe do a collage of the everybody that's active in the NBA. But either that or we have to have them sign a contract that every time they get traded they have to pay for right. the, new, <laughs> the new show in the gym. But it's, it's, a new it's been uh, – you know, that's been a great showpiece for our program to walk recruits and their families in here and have three guys in Doug and Kyle and Anthony that know, not only have gone had great careers at Creighton and represented themselves the right way here, but they've done it since they've moved into the NBA. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's really cool for us to have something like that to sell. Not only NBA-wise, but you have, you know, turned a lot of professional basketball players from this program just in your, in your time here. I mean, you know, Grant's out in Germany, Justin Carter's out there, Johans uh, <coughs> and Jeff just played each other. I mean, so, I mean, from a perspective of Zach, Isaiah, and Cole, I know that they put their bodies through a lot just to get through a college career, but are they, are they kind of looking through some windows or opening some doors to playing professionally, or are they... they I, I think they all want to play. Mm -hmm. With them, the question is we have to get them healthy first. You know, Isaiah had has his, his arm in a sling right now from some surgery out of his elbow, and, and, you know, his knee hasn't been great. He's got to give that a little rest. Cole had his other knee cleaned up. It wasn't as severe um, as we thought it might be. We thought it was he was maybe going down the road uh, with the same surgery that he had on the other knee. Uh, with this knee this year, but uh, they, they fixed the torn meniscus. They cleaned some stuff up uh, in a month or so. He could be back training. Uh, and, you know, Zach's ankle's not great mm -hmm. and his knee's not great. So I think he's going to take a little time off and then get back to training as well. But the good news is they're all going to graduate <coughs> in May. They all have meaningful degrees. And obviously, you get a Creighton degree, it, it carries a lot of weight. So they're going to be okay, whatever they choose to do. But I, I hope they go out and try to experience the world a little bit. Uh, much like our guys have done, you know, Devin has been over there playing, Will's over playing, Dane Watts is playing, is a teammate of Grant Gibbs. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've had a lot of guys go over there and play and have some good success and have really enjoyed it. Uh, and you have an opportunity to do that when you're young. You wait 10 years, it's a little harder to do. So ho I'm hopeful that they'll all be able to land somewhere uh, and at least experience basketball in a different part of the world, uh, at least for a couple of years. Well, what you do have coming back, I mean, and just talking about Kyrie Thomas, I mean, the, the year he had this year, I mean, you knew he had a lot of potential, but it seemed like he really made a huge jump there for a sophomore year. I mean, he was co-defensive player of the year in the Big East, but I didn't think there was any doubt he was the best defender in the league, given who he was checking night in, night out. What, I mean, what? how do you describe the jump he made from freshman to sophomore year? And is, that's, a, that's a huge jump. Have you ever seen a guy, maybe Doug, who made a jump in production as big as that from one year to the next, especially as an underclassman? Well, and what do you what do you think he can still get better at? When you consider that he did it on both ends of the floor, mm -hmm. you know he he was a potentially good defender as a freshman, but he was not a good defender right. because he took so many chances, he got out of position, uh, he gambled so much, um, you know, to the point where we didn't play him a lot late in the year, uh, leading up until the NIT. Uh, and then offensively, always struggled with his confidence. If he hit one, he'd be good. Uh, but otherwise, he'd get in his head and get in his way. Uh, but I, I think the work he put in in the offseason, both developing his body, changing his body, getting in, shooting shots, and being consistent with that, uh, I, I think his, his whole demeanor and his approach to himself changed. And because of that change, he was able to get through some tough times during the season where he didn't shoot it as well and get back on track. But, uh, you know, what I, what's been fun for me to see is, you know, especially since Maurice went down, uh, you know, he's taken a leadership role and a more vocal role in this team uh, that's really going to be beneficial for us moving forward because everybody respects Kyrie. 
uh, and they respect him because how he brings it every day, never wants to come out of practice, never misses a practice with an injury or an illness. He wants to be there. He wants to do it. Uh, he wants to guard the other team's best player, and he's not afraid to try to take big shots with the game on the line. So uh, I hope he can. I hope he can back up what he did in the offseason last year, again this year, and, and continue to grow his game. Because I think if he does, uh, I, think he's got, I think he's got a chance to be one of the next great players to play in the NBA. I think he's that good. Um, just in talking about this summer, I mean, the summer league out of OSA is a big deal every year. But, you know, when you get an injury or two, it gives you some pause, I'm sure, as a coaching staff. You know, last year Zach got hurt there. Toby's going to be on the men. Cole's on the men last year. I mean, you, you want them to be part of community, and you want them to play, and you know, embrace that whole thing. But how much of that worries you as far as their readiness for the fall and being one hundred percent? And have you made any decisions as far as who you might send out there this year, if uh, at all? We haven't made a decision yet. I'm probably leaning towards not having the guys do it this year. Right. Um, and it's it's relatively simple. Uh, you know, we can't afford an injury, and we had one last year, and it set back Zach back in uh, his development back. And you know, fluke things happen. Mm-hmm. And but you know, there's if they're here playing against each other, everybody kind of understands the lay of the land, and they're competing against one another. And if something happens in our gym, so be it. But if it's going to happen somewhere else, that that can be troubling. So you know, I think that league has been great for our program. It's been great for our fans uh, to be able to get a sneak peek at particularly at the new guys. Uh, but uh, whether we do that this year or not, uh, I'm, I'm not certain. But it's going to be really important that we have a, a great off season as a program uh, to continue to move forward because we certainly have some pieces of the puzzle that are really, really good and some question marks that we're going to have to answer, uh, some through recruiting and some, some through development within our program. Uh, but that's, that's part of what we need to do as well. Get you out of here on this, the guys that have – Sign on the dotted line, and our you know incoming freshman Mitchell Ballack and uh, Tyshawn Alexander. Um, just what do you think of the senior seasons they had, and you know after they committed to Creighton, and the things that maybe you guys said. Here's what maybe you need to work on as far as getting yourself ready to play at the Division One level, and I mean how how college ready do you think both of them are, and what kind of skills will they bring to the table next year? Well, you know, I think I can. I think I can discuss them kind of in the same bucket because they're similar in so many ways. You know, they both they both love the game. They both love to be in the gym. They love to work out. Uh, <coughs> I think their bodies uh, aren't your typical high school bodies. I think they're strong enough and physical enough that they have a chance to come in and compete right away. Um, they both should shoot the basketball at an extremely high level uh, and and with range, and and they both are more than shooters. They're basketball players. They can handle it. They can pass it. Uh, Tyshawn, in particular, I've been really impressed with his, his progression defensively. Uh, and I think they're, they're both hungry to learn. So, you know, I, I know that, you know, the weekend we got beat, I think Mitch drove up here and worked out with Caleb, I think, really? for the weekend. And that's just what, what you're dealing with. I mean, yeah. the, these guys want to be great basketball players and they want to win. And, and the winning comes first, and that's the most important thing. So uh, I think they're going to be great additions uh, to our program. I think they'll add to what we already have, not just on the court, but with their actions and how they'll carry themselves off the floor. They're, they're great young guys from, from terrific, terrific families, and they're going to add to what we already have. And, you know, we, like, as I mentioned, we have two scholarships available. We, we have to add to the front line, and we're working hard to do that. And then I think we'll add the best available player after that. Uh, 
and, and see where we'll go from there. Mac, I appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy, and everybody's your desk is just filled with requests after request after request. So I appreciate you sitting down. I know you didn't quite beat Flan's mark of 50-plus minutes, but you got halfway there, so thanks I, for the time. I don't have near as much to say as Flan. <laughs> and, you know, and they they won a game in the NCAA tournament, so he had more to talk There was about. more to evaluate. Yeah, certainly. absolutely. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Thank you.